Thank you very much. As you can imagine, I am uh, very honored to be here today. This gym has a lot of memories for Nancy and me, and uh, it was here two years ago that uh, Stuart scored 18 points and, <laughs> and helped Masters beat Viola. Uh, and uh, also, I have that game ball at home on the prominent display in a prominent area. This has a lot of memories. Thank you for everything. By the way, Stuart and Julie, for those of you who knew them last year and the three prior years, send their warmest regards to you. They're now in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, among other things, picking up the language, you all, and things like that. But they love it and they're doing great. Um, I want to share just a little bit this morning about what we've been involved with in the marketplace. And to set the stage, I'd like to um, tell a couple of incidents from the Bible. Um, one of the incidents is recorded in Luke, and uh, I don't believe I'm going to be able to read it because this is an entire Bible in this small space. This is Catherine's, by the way. And um, it is the print is just too small. I'll just tell you about it. <laughs> Anyone have a magnifying glass, by the way? Uh, Levi was sitting at the tax collector's table, uh, and Christ came by and said, follow me. And immediately in Luke, I believe it's the fourth chapter, it says that immediately he followed him, and uh, Matthew went to his home and made a great meal and invited all of his friends to come and meet Christ. One of the heroes I have in the scriptures is Paul. He's probably my number one hero, and since a couple of years ago, I started very seriously studying Romans, actually four years ago started studying Romans, Paul has grown in stature enormously. Romans, of course, in my opinion, is easily the most difficult book in the Bible. And Paul, I think we get the essence of who he is and what he is called to do in the book of Philippians. We have such verses that ring a bell, an enormous bell with me, which say, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then I counted all lost to know Christ and and, uh, and then he says, the things that have happened to me have come out for gain of the gospel. You know, Paul had a vision to go to Rome and witness to the most powerful man on earth, Nero. There's a substantial amount of proof that Nero was one of the great perverted people, along with a number of other of the various Caesars. Nero was... Uh, was uh, of a perverted nature, sexually and morally and every other way. Paul's vision was to go there and witness to him and tell him about Christ. Perhaps he would become a Christian. And as you remember, Paul was in Jerusalem and was arrested and beaten. Then he told them that he was a Roman citizen. And finally, he had his passageway to go to Rome. And on the way, he had a shipwreck, uh, nearly lost his life. And eventually, he did wind up in Rome. But to witness to Nero... No, not at all. To witness to soldiers who guarded him. And of course, he had visitors from time to time from the church that was in Rome. And he says in Philippians, 
I have found that my circumstances, difficult as they are, I have learned to rejoice in them, glorify God in them, and thank God, I thank God, you know, in every circumstance, and I've realized that these circumstances have come to the furtherance of the gospel. That's an enormous testimony. And it really speaks to me directly because a great deal of time in the past I found myself waiting for the right circumstances to be a witness for Christ or the right situation or perhaps my position to become the right position or some other thing to happen in order that I could witness for Christ. I've drawn the conclusion that each of us is placed at a certain stage in life for a particular purpose. We have very little control over that. Some people will be rich, some people will be poor. I know people who work a lot harder than I do who have a lot less than I do. I know people who work a lot less than I do who have a lot more than I do. There are people who are taller than I am. There are people who are shorter than I am. There are people who are more handsome than I am. Hard to find, but they're there. There are people more intelligent. Rare, but they're out there. God places each of us in a certain circumstances with a certain personality because he wants us to be a witness in that circumstances. And that's what Paul is telling us from the jail in Rome what happened to him for the furtherance of the gospel. When does the ministry start for you? When do you start witnessing to people? Well, first of all, I think, and I've concluded that God is more interested in who we are than in what we do. I'll repeat that. It took me a long time to learn that. God is more interested in who we are than what we do. Because what, who we are, determines what we do. And if you leave the masters and go out into the world, in the marketplace, as a Christian, if you have a daily walk with Christ, and by the way, the objective is not a position, not money, not power, but the objective of a Christian, the right objective, is a walk with Christ. The Christian life is a mode of travel, not a destination. If you have that walk with Christ, what you are will automatically come out and you will find yourself witnessing to people and being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The salt and the light as a Christian should be. I want to share just a few experiences that Nancy and I have, and this is really a team effort uh, in our family, a team effort. I was born in Ararat, Virginia on a little tobacco farm in a little uh, farmhouse there. Uh, by the way, someone asked me when I ran for public office why I was born on a, in a farmhouse. And I said, well, I just wanted to be near my mother. And she wondered why I wasn't born in a hospital. Well, hospitals were far away back then. But I had several scholarships. I was saved when I was 10 years old. I had a couple of scholarships to go to bas play basketball in college and so on. And my folks prayed, and they wanted me to go to Bob Jones University, which is where I wound up. But I still love basketball. I still do today. And I take uh, no small amount of pride in knowing that I can still, you know, go one-on-one -on -one with Joe John and usually win. 
well, in tennis at least. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> basketball was a big thing to me. But then I went to Bob Jones. I met my wife, Nancy. Uh, we were married 30 years ago, by the way. Uh, she was 13 when we got married. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we, we, uh, God laid it on our hearts early on to try to be a witness for the Lord and live for Him. We prayed together. We uh, sometimes had devotions together. We determined to walk with the Lord. Uh, God opened several doors, and now we're in Christian broadcasting. Um, I'll let Nancy share in just a minute some, a couple of incidents that, that she wants to share with us. But uh, Ed Atzinger, my partner in broadcasting, is here. Um, i never forget, in Boston, once we were there looking at a radio station, it was real frightening because they wanted about $2.5 for a radio station, and we were concerned how to get back home and uh, financially. And uh, we prayed at the Hilton Inn at the airport, and I remember Ed praying, Lord, why not the best radio station for you? We had both had a background, a little background in secular broadcasting and so on, and we felt that this was the right thing to do to get into Christian radio. And so uh, Ed prayed, uh, Lord, why not the best, meaning the best facility for you? And so the Lord opened the door for us to get that radio station in Boston, and it's still on the air there today, W-E-Z-E. And several other doors have opened. You can hear KKLA here in L.A., which God gave us. And uh, Ed has been a real inspiration to me. He's had a big vision for doing things that seem to be impossible uh, from a point of human point of view, but have really been very possible from God's point of view. And as doors have opened, we've taken those doors. And... If you're walking with the Lord, and if you have a growth pattern in your life, which I hope you picked up by now, a daily devotional walk with the Lord, then you're going to find all kinds of opportunities. They'll just come to you. People will ring the doorbell. Uh, all kinds of things will happen. It'll give you an opportunity to witness for the Lord. And I want to share a few with you. I was on a plane coming from Charlotte on Wednesday. We have a 200-mile-per-hour headwind, which means it took us about seven hours to get to Los Angeles. Uh, we literally ran out of gas on the airplane and had to stop and get more fuel. Well, I was sitting by two guys, three, three on each side. We're cramped in like this. And I was sitting seven hours with two big guys. And one was a pilot and one was a, looked like a football player. And when I got on that plane, I, well, hey, I immediately thought, how can I witness to these people effectively for Christ? And so we got a conversation, I got to know them, and we talked about this and that and everything on the sun, and I know more about those people now, I think, than their wives do, or anyone else. I did seven hours, you know? And uh, so then I, I said, would you excuse me? So I got up and I left, I have some tracks, I always carry some tracks. And I got up and I got up, this, they were, unfortunately, or fortunately, they were in a big bundle with a band around them, so I got the tracks down. and. I took a couple out and I said, by the way, I got these for you guys. I want you to read them and see what you think. Uh, this message changed my whole life, turned my whole life around when someone shared it with me. So the, the big football player, he took it out and he started reading it and then he put it away and, and then he took it out again and read it again. And, and then the airplane pilot, pilot for U.S. Air, he read his and put it away and then took it out. And then they asked me a few questions about it. And, 
And we had a great conversation about the Lord. Turns out they're Christians. They know the Lord. Now, my goal, my conscious goal for that seven-hour encounter with these two people was to somehow leave them closer to the kingdom of God than they were before I got there. Closer to the kingdom of God. And I thank the Lord that I, I believe I, that the Lord used me in some small way to do that. Now, Clifford mentioned some outreach dinners we have in Winston-Salem and Greensboro. We've actually done these in a number of cities across the country, trying to get them started with local groups. What we do is come up with an engraved invitation, and we send it to the, uh, the upper crust of a city, the affluent people. We get the zip codes, and if they're living in a... Uh, $400,000 or $500,000 home plus, and we don't know if they're a Christian or not, and belong to the country club. We use a lot of country club lists and a lot of garden club lists and a lot of opera club lists and high society. We send an engraved invitation to these people, and suddenly out of the clear blue, they get this invitation, they look at it, and they say, you know, that costs $2 to, pr to print, just to print that invitation. And we invite them to come to a club where you can only eat there if you're a member. And it's pretty expensive to join that club. And the meal always costs 30 bucks, you know. So they're saying, hey, I got a $2 invitation. I'm going to get a $30 meal. Boy, this may be interesting. And the invitation says, you know, we'd like to, we'd like to invite you to be our guest as we honor, for example, one physician we had, an internationally known physician, uh, Dr. Charles Stevens from Philadelphia. He'll be sharing about his career in the medical profession and also will tell about a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ. We get back, we get about 10 or 15% of the people we send that invitation to, a, an RSVP, they said they'll come, and, and then we have the dinner. And of course, we, I give my testimony, Nancy shares her testimony, and then we have a lovely dinner. It's always great dinner. Very expensive, but outstanding. Tremendous dessert. And then the speaker, Dr. Stevens, will get up and share his life and then how he came to know Christ as personal Savior. And uh, it's really a thrill that when we... And then we pass out a decision card. And it's a thrill to see how many people come to know Christ as their savior, about 30 to 40% will sign the card. Yes, I prayed to receive Christ as my personal savior. Not knowing, they did not know who we were necessarily. They didn't know anything about what was going on. They responded to a blind invitation. One of the interesting ways, now anybody can do this at your home. Just invite some people you know over and then have someone share how they came to know Christ as personal savior. The, the, those are the targeted people. We have on our list probably, we probably have a thousand or probably have 3,000 people on a list in Winston-Salem that we're targeted, that we want to present an effective witness to Christ to. And, you know, people at about 40 years old uh, start coming to realize that, hey, I'm not going to reach my goals. And if they are reaching those goals, then they're going to realize that those goals weren't what they thought they were anyway. They're not satisfying. And so life is pretty much a downer when you get to be 40 and don't have Christ. Or 45, a midlife crisis comes in. 
You've heard that term, midlife crisis. Well, that's, that's what happens. They don't have Christ. Uh, they're uh, a little bit depressed, looking for something, and then they get an invitation to come to a dinner to hear someone share about how Christ changed their life. Outreach dinners. Uh, any number of you could do those on, on, any, on, on a small scale or a large scale and reach a great deal of people. There's some disappointments in it. Uh, our next-door neighbor wrote a letter back and said, you know something, we have our own source of spiritual understanding. We really don't need your help in this area. And uh, I was a little depressed for a while, and, but then we got over it. You get a lot of other invitations back to say we're excited about coming, and then a lot of people thank us later. Lord, we, you know, they say we came to know Christ through the outreach dinner. It's a team effort. Reaching people in the marketplace, wherever you are, a team effort involving my wife, my kids, Christy and Kathy are involved, and Stuart and Karen also involved. I remember Christy, when she first came to Masters and really got involved here, she called me one day and said, you know, I called so-and-so on the phone, and I shared with her about Christ. And she said, right over the phone, she prayed to receive Christ as her personal Savior. Well, I thought, isn't that wonderful? Right over the phone. You can witness to anyone, anywhere, with the goal of... of of having them closer to the kingdom of God, having met you than they were otherwise. I want to ask Nancy to come up right now. And um, they say that behind every successful man, there's a surprised woman. <laughs> and Nancy, why don't you share just a little how you came to know the Lord, very briefly, and then, uh, <laughs> and then a couple of incidents. Okay. Well, actually, I was born in Hawaii, and I grew up right here in California, and John MacArthur's father, Jack MacArthur, led me to the Lord when I was 14. And uh, I can say that um, that turned my life around. I was so empty and lost and unhappy. And when I heard the gospel, I knew that that was exactly what I was looking for. And so I was saved and um, went to Bob Jones. I had really prayed about where to go. And I uh, went to Bob Jones, and that's where I met my wonderful husband. And uh, then we were married six years, and we had no children. And we just, we really wanted children. And so uh, one night, a minister who was preaching in town stayed at our home. And we asked him to pray for us that we would have children. Well, he did. And we did. <laughs> and in the next about five years really under five years we had four babies <laughs> and then Stu had to find that preacher and get him to stop praying <laughs> but i must say our kids have been such a blessing the bible says children are inherited to the lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward and if any of you here and probably most of you do know christy and kathy you'll know what i mean when i say they're a real blessing any of you ever get discouraged if you get down you just go find Christy or Kathy, and in about five or ten minutes, they will lift your spirits. They do that to me all the time. They're such a blessing. And now, of course, we have our wonderful nephew here, Ted. So um, we're real motivated to come 3,000 miles to California fairly frequently. But anyway, Stu wanted me to share just a few things that have happened. And I want to preface these couple incidents by telling you that one thing we prayed about early on when we were first married, was that God would help us see people as he sees them. 
to look beyond the exterior, the mask that most people wear, and just try to see them as God sees them, as lost and undone and empty and miserable. And one thing we can know for sure is that without Jesus Christ, you cannot really be fulfilled. You can't really have a joy and a peace. And so we pray for that. We've asked God to give us a vision. Without a vision, the people perish. And so we've tried to witness with that in mind, just looking beyond the facade. And I'll never forget, I was um, a while back, I was teaching a lady's Bible study. And, and it, it was kind of an outreach Bible study. I encouraged the women to bring unsaved women. And afterwards, uh, one of the ladies came up with a woman, a doctor. And uh, she introduced me to this doctor. And, uh, and I remember saying, and the doctor's very reserved, just very, very reserved. And I said, well, it's so nice to meet you. Have you ever committed your life to Jesus Christ? And this doctor said, no, I haven't. And I said, well... Wouldn't you like to do that right now? And she said, yes, I would. <laughs> and I felt like saying, are you sure? <laughs> you know, I, there was no indication of conviction. There was no indication that she was really even thinking about what I was saying. She was so reserved. But you know what? She prayed and gave her life to Jesus Christ. And... Uh, I'll never forget, I was so happy and excited. I gave her a big hug, and she was kind of kind of still reserved and stiff. And then I began discipling her, and, I, and about it took about a week. And uh, we met and went through Scripture, and when I went to leave her, she gave me the biggest old bear hug and just was so thrilled to be a Christian. But I almost didn't ask her because... She looked so reserved. So you just never know what's going on inside. And another thing that happened, we were I was at a dinner, and Stu couldn't come to this dinner. He was out of town, but I went on, and, and I was talking to this really sweet woman, about 35, three adorable children, who was so burdened for her husband, another doctor. And she was so burdened because he didn't know the Lord, and she so wanted him to come to Christ. And I told her I'd pray for him, and he was there at the dinner, and I said, oh, boy, I wish I could get a chance to talk to him. Well, later on in the meal, I went up to get a beverage, and he happened to go up at the same time. And so I started talking to him. His name was Mark. He, he was a very um, successful doctor. In fact, he was in charge of the entire emergency room, and he had just a thriving practice. And I said to him, I didn't know how long I'd have to talk to him, so I didn't want to waste much time, so I just kind of blurted out, well, Mark, have you ever committed your life to Jesus Christ? And he said, no, I don't have time for that. And I said, oh, but listen, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. And I went on to talk to him. He said, no, I'm too busy. I don't need that. And he was so arrogant and so obnoxious. And I didn't really even like this man at all. But I just kept talking to him. And I just talked and talked, and he kept talking back, and I reasoned with him, and I gave him scripture. And finally, I looked around, and I noticed everybody had left that room where we were eating, and they'd gone to another room. And I saw that we were just there alone. 
And I thought, well, you know what? I don't have anything to lose. I'm going to pray for this man with this hard heart. And so I just said to him, well, I want to pray for you. And I didn't ask him because I was afraid he might say no. But I just started praying. And I just bowed my head and I just said, Lord, I just pray you will just break Mark's heart. Just show him he needs you. And I just prayed for him. And then I said, Mark, while our heads are bowed, wouldn't you like to pray and receive Christ and commit your life to him? And I kept my head bowed and there was dead silence. And I wasn't sure if he was reaching out to choke me or maybe if he'd left the room. I didn't know what was going on. And I was dying to look up, but I didn't. I kept my head bowed. And I waited and waited. And the next thing I knew, I heard weeping. I mean, weeping, falling. This man was just crying his heart out. I was so shocked. I was just stunned. And through his tears and his brokenness, he prayed and asked God to forgive him and to save him and was gloriously saved. And again, I was just startled because there was no outward indication that he had any need or desire for Christ. But see, inside, he was miserable and he knew he needed the Lord. And... Um, his wife was so thrilled to have a Christian husband. He has since um, joined our Bible-believing church, been baptized. So the other doctor, Dr. Haas, who'd been a very stiff Episcopalian, came and joined our Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, was baptized. But I, I just shared these couple incidents to, to tell you this. Don't let the outward influence your witnessing. And the one verse that is such an encouragement to me, and this is what drives me on when it comes to witnessing and sharing Christ wherever I am, is Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, now get this, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The power is in the gospel, not in me, not in my husband, not in you. The power is in the gospel. So you can stammer and stutter and you can be shy and intimidated, but if you'll blurt out the gospel, that's where the power is. And the Spirit of God will take that and he'll break hearts and convict hearts. Was I short enough? No. Right. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I would have Nancy share this. I'll just share it. We have a, our dentist in Winston-Salem. We were going to him and, and one day Nancy walked in and she had the earphones on, uh, kind of like a lot of you do when you're walking around and so on. And she was listening to a tape of, of John MacArthur. And the dentist, Dr. Nash, said, Hey, what are you listening to? And she said, Oh, I'm just listening to John MacArthur. He said, Well, what does he do? Uh, he teaches the Bible. Oh, well, let's listen to it. Let me listen, he says. So uh, she took the earphone off and um, kind of opened the speaker up. And uh, he listened to the whole uh, hour sermon. And uh, he said, You know, I'd like to get some of those tapes. So we sent him a whole stack of tapes, John MacArthur tapes, <laughs> and he started listening to those, and uh, he's the kind of guy that examines everything minutely, and he was active in a Moravian church, not active really, he was going, he was a social guy, he went to the Moravian church, and so he started examining the Bible very minutely, very carefully, and listening to John MacArthur, and then he got some books, and then you know what? 
he accepted Christ as his personal savior, he became convinced that Christ was the Messiah. And uh, his wife, Mel, became a Christian also. And they became, he became a deacon in the Grace Bible Church. They named, not Grace Community Church, but they named it Grace Bible Church back in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, kind of an inadvertent way of witnessing. One thing I think we need to do as Christians, make a list of people that, let's make a conscious list of people we come in contact with who we have a special burden for. If God lays someone on your heart, on your mind, you know, hey, you know, they need something. I think I could help them a little bit with telling them about Christ. If, if someone, if that comes to your mind, that's a very good signal that you ought to, you ought to really do something. You ought to get involved. Now, do Christians um, in the marketplace mess up? Well, absolutely. When you're working with people, no matter what uh, area you're in, you, you have um, things that happen to you. You're not perfect at all. And you have to deal with these. Sometimes ask for an apology. Uh, I remember an incident I want to share with you. With, uh, I don't know. Anyway, I'll just share it. I mean, Kathy was about four years old, and I went to the went to the grocery store, and I asked her to push them. It's hard to imagine her now being four years old, but I asked her to push the cart around while I was kind of picking up some things and shopping and so on. And, and I noticed as we walked by, there was this huge, huge display of Scope mouthwash in glass bottles. They had it stacked up about six feet tall. And they had a big sign up, special sale, two bottles of scope for the price of one. And so I just kind of noticed that, and I walked on by, and I was five or about eight feet, and I suddenly hear this large crash, and then another crash. And then I heard all this glass hitting the floor, and then I saw this liquid go by me on the floor. <laughs> and... And I looked back, and there was Kathy with that cart right over that mouthwash. And it was going everywhere. And the, and the manager, somebody sent for the manager of the store, and he came rushing out, and he says, Quick, get some mops. Help me get this mess up, he said. And so I walked over, and I said, Could we help you get this up? He said, No, get out of here. Take her with you and get out right now. <laughs> and we ran out of the Kroger store. Christians have problems. They have accidents. They mess up, okay? <laughs> I didn't give that guy a track as I left either. <laughs> We're human beings. We have that continual struggle of the self. We want to be in charge. We want to do it our way. What we want, we know what we want, and we know when we want it. That's how Christians are. It was a characteristic of the Adamic nature, which we all inherited. But if we walk with God and we're working out our own salvation, working out our own salvation by examining the scriptures and working through them and come to a right-related relationship with God, and believe me, this is not a casual involvement. You'll never get anywhere if you have a casual involvement. I'm satisfied to say that, and most of you will back me up on that. It can't be a casual thing. If you're serious then God will put you in that place he wants you to be. Perfect place. Whether in a mill, a factory, an executive, a guy who does tours to the Caribbean, an airplane pilot, 
uh, maybe an astronaut going to the moon. God will put you in that place. Maybe an athlete. God will put you in that place where he wants you to be. There are really no accidents for people who are, who are walking with the Lord. Paul said, I've learned of whatever state I am therewith to be content. Uh, in all things, give thanks. Just thank God you're here. Now, where does your mission field begin? Where do you start influencing people and where do you have opportunities to do that? I want to ask you to do something. I want everybody, first of all, to look to the left. Just look to the left. That'd be, okay, that'd be this way. Look that way. Okay. Okay, look at a person to your left, all right? The person immediately on your left. Okay, now look to the right. The person immediately on your right, okay? You looked at the back of their head, which is probably their best side. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, that's why I'm in radio, by the way. I have a great, great face for radio. Uh, anyway, anybody hear the voice of the Mustangs last spring? How many heard those broadcasts? The voice of the Mustangs. Where's Steve Dixon? Is he here today? Steve, where are you? There's another guy. I can take one-on-one -on -one basketball easy. But anyway, he helped me do that. And uh, we were doing it from Indiana. Had a great time. As far as I know, he and I are the first and the last voice of the Mustangs. And if you guys get to the playoffs, and I think you will, we might consider resurrecting that. But why did I say that? Anyway, the point I was <laughs> the point I was going to make is this: literally everybody we come in contact with has a spiritual need and is in need of your help in one way or the other spiritually and you are going to lift that person up closer to the Lord or else you're going to tear that person down a little bit further from the Lord that's just how it works um, I took a refresher course on soul winning not long ago, and uh, they assigned me a trainer at our church. His name is Richard Witkowski, Dr. Richard Witkowski. And Richard is a nuclear physicist. If you ever go to get an examination where ra uh, uh, a radioactive substance will be injected into your bloodstream, he's the guy who came up with a method of doing that. Brilliant man. Okay, we were going, we went to this house, and. And uh, he said, I want to share my testimony with you. He told the lady there, and I was sitting there, and he was kind of, he was kind of a formerly my trainer. And he said, you know, my wife came to a Bible study that Nancy Efferson was teaching, and uh, she had been having all kinds of emotional problems, and Janie was just a basket case. And then she came to know the Lord through that Bible study, and she asked me to come to a Bible study, but I never would go. But she kept asking me and telling me about Christ, and he said, you know, I was... I was uh, considered myself an intellectual and far above anything having to do with Christ or religion. That was for weak people. And I had it all together. But he said, somehow through the testimony of my wife, who still has emotional problems, but has gotten it together somewhat through Christ, I kept getting under conviction and could never get it out of my mind. And he says, as a result of her coming and to the Bible study, I finally yielded my life to Christ and accepted him. Now, Richard Witkowski teaches a Bible study at Baptist Hospital every Wednesday morning in Winston-Salem. Came to know the Lord through a Bible study through his wife. Everybody you touch, be sure to leave the imprint of Christ on them. 
whatever state in life you have, whatever position God has given you. You know, it's so interesting about positions. God says, I will raise up who I will. I will put down who I will. And he also says, the heart of the king is in the Lord's hands. I happen to believe that God is in control. He's in control of your life. And the thing that you and I have to do constantly is make sure that we're walking with the Lord, we're communicating with him daily, and that we're ready for that opportunity when it comes to be a, a witness for him. You have an opportunity, if you're going into the marketplace, to reach people that no one else ever would. No preacher, they won't really talk to a preacher because they have their defenses up, one reason, and another reason because ministers have such a bad image at this particular point in history. But they will listen to a businessman or a professional who has his life rightly related to Christ. Let me just close and tell you one last incident, and this is a very moving incident to me. We came home from church a few years back. It was about 10 or 9 o'clock at night, and the phone rang. And Nancy took the phone, and, and the voice on the other end says, Is this the, is this the family in North Carolina where the, the tall person uh, came down to South Carolina about a year ago? and talk to me about a radio station. And um, Nancy says, well, wait a minute. Let me get Stuart on the line here. So I got on the line, and he said, I wanted to know if you're the guy who came down here to talk to me. This is Melvin Purvis, he said. I wanted to know if you were the guy who came down to talk to me about buying a radio station about a year ago. I said, well, yes. So I remembered... I remember the incident. My banker said there's a guy in Florence, South Carolina who has a radio station and he's going broke with it and wants to sell it. And he's wondering if you would be interested if you could drive down there and talk to him about it. So one afternoon I started down there and I remember I had a flat tire on the way and it was delayed by several things. And I finally got to Florence, South Carolina at 11 o'clock at night. And I went in and his wife fixed us a little dessert. We sat and talked till 2 a.m., three hours. I remember this guy, Melvin Purvis III. His father was Melvin Purvis Jr. They made a movie about him called Dillinger. Melvin Purvis Jr. was the man who arrested uh, Dillinger, and he also arrested uh, Floyd. Is it Pretty Boy? Pretty Boy Floyd, they call him, an outstanding or well-known criminal back in those days in the 30s. His dad was world famous. His dad later committed suicide in Florence, South Carolina. So I remembered that incident. And during our interview in Florence that night, I said to uh, Melvin was a very obnoxious person, intelligent, bright, but obnoxious. And he didn't really want to talk to me about buying a radio station. He wanted to talk to me about how he could run a radio station. And I'd driven all that way, a couple hundred miles, just to talk to a guy about nothing. I remember as I was leaving, I said, Melvin, let me share just something with you quickly, and i got to go. And I, I said, you'll never be happy until you know Christ. I said, Jesus Christ came into my life, changed my whole outlook, and I found peace as a result of that encounter. And you'll never be happy until you know Christ. And I kind of said it out of, well, a lot of emotions, but at least one of them was a kind of a mean-spiritedness because I was angry at this guy. Anyway, he said to me, what? You mean Christ 
That's ridiculous. That's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. That, in fact, that's downright stupid, he said, in his frank way. And so I left that night, and I drove all night, and I got home about five, about 8 o'clock the next morning and just beat. And so there on the phone was Melvin Purvis, and he said these words. He said, you know, after you left that night, my emotions went bad. I became a um, 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 depressed extremely bad. And I could find no help. I went to a doctor and he said I'd have to be hospitalized for at least a year and maybe never uh, recover. I was a manic depressive. And he said one night I took out the gun which, with which my father killed himself. And somehow I knew it was destiny because my dad had done it and I would do it ultimately myself. And I took out the gun and lay on the bed and I actually put it to my head. And I remembered our conversation somehow, that I would never be happy until I knew Christ. And so I got to thinking about that. And he said, about that time, the phone rang. And I put the gun down, and I answered the phone. It was a friend, and he gave me a few words of encouragement. And I hung up, and he says, I bowed my knee and prayed and asked Christ to come into my life. And I just said, God, if you're out there, if you're out there and Christ is your son, please come into my life right now. I receive you. I confess my sins. I, I have nothing. And he said immediately Christ came in. And uh, I was changed. My depression was gone. And I went back to a doctor. And he said it was a miracle. And um, my whole life changed. And he said, of course, I had to go bankrupt because I had no choice. That didn't change. But now he says, I've got the Spirit of God, and I just wanted to call you. And he says, tonight I went to a Baptist church, and I gave this testimony. And after the testimony, a man came up to me, and he said, well, who was this tall guy from North Carolina? You didn't give his name. And he says, well, I don't really remember his name. And uh, the man says, well, you ought to try to look him up and tell him what happened to you. And he, so he, he said, I went home, and I pulled out the filing cabinet drawer, and I... I reached in uh, under radio station and I found this yellow sheet of paper with your name and phone number on it. And I wanted to call and thank you for saving my life. Melvin later became with his wife, Judy, became a missionary to New York City. He went back and, and uh, talked to all the rich and the famous people his dad had known, people like Walter Chrysler and some of the Ford family, and um, witnessed to them about Christ, and a few of them accepted Christ. And at home right now, one of my most prized possessions is uh, Melvin Purvis, an intellectual, a writer, famous name. New Yorker magazine ran an article about Christianity in New York. And on the front page, they have Melvin Purvis standing on Times Square with all the creeps all around it. You know what I'm talking about. All the weirdos walking around. Melvin Purvis is standing there with his Bible, preaching the gospel. And some people came to know Christ because of his ministry. He developed heart trouble and went to be the Lord just a couple of, about three years ago. Melvin Purvis. I just wanted to share that with you. Let me just reiterate, if I could leave anything with you today, your objective and my objective is to walk with the Lord. It's not to get something. It's not to get some place. It's not to get some power. It's not to get some money. 
but it's to walk with the Lord. And when we walk with the Lord, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Thank you very much.